Well, good morning. I'd like to welcome you here to First Presbyterian Church. If you're a guest with us, a special word of welcome to you. I want to thank you for wearing your masks as you came into our common area of our church. And I would ask you that when we sing, if you could keep the masks on. Uh, studies have shown in both the United States and Europe that when you sing, the aerosol spray can be as far as 14 feet. And while we can uh, establish six feet of distance, uh, social distance between us, uh, when we sing, it's a little tricky. So if you could wear the mask when we sing. But uh, while I'm preaching uh, or doing other things, you're free to take that mask off as long as you're sitting next to someone from your family, your household, uh, we want you to feel free to worship God together today. Also, just a few brief announcements I want to bring to your attention. Uh, if you are a guest with us, a special word of welcome to you. I would encourage you after the service to go to our welcome desk, which is that uh, circular desk that's right in the great hall in the center there. Uh, we've got some, uh, a gift bag we'd like to give to you and also to get to know you better and see if you have any questions about our church. Also, this Saturday, uh, Fired Up, which is a, a legacy-minded simulcast event for men. Uh, Tony Evans will be speaking at that this Saturday um, from 9 a.m. to noon uh, here at our church in the parlor. Uh, the event features world-class speakers like Tony Evans. Uh, they'll discuss identity, relationships, and purpose as it relates to being a man of God. The event is free. We're a host site here in our parlor. Men, if you'd like to join us, we'd love to have you this Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon. We'll have plenty of food and refreshments for you while we're there. Well, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Please rise and join me for our responsive call to worship that comes from Psalm 24 this morning. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that because of what Jesus has done for us with his death on a cross, we know that our sins have been atoned for so that we might come to you with clean hands and a pure heart. You tell us, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Lord, we pray that by your spirit you might move in this time of worship, that our hearts might be purified, that we might see you, that your spirit might open our eyes to who you are and who you're calling us to be. Oh God, we pray that everything we say and do might bring glory and honor to you. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ. And all God's people said, Amen.
Please be seated. In Matthew 18, Jesus tells us when two or more gather together in his name, he promises to be there. And so as we come together in Christ's name, we know that, well, the presence of Christ is with us. His, his presence is made, mo- made no- most to us in the midst of worship of Almighty God. And like the prof- prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, when he came into the presence of Almighty God, he was overwhelmed by God's holiness, and he was reminded of his own sinfulness. And he said, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. Scripture tells us that if we say that we have no sin, we simply deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just promises us that he will forgive us for all of our sins. So I invite you to join me in the corporate prayer of confession that's printed in your bulletin, followed by a time of silent personal confession. Please join me as we pray. Gracious and loving God, you have been so generous in your sacrificial love for us. Forgive us for the times that we fail to reflect your generous love to others. In our self-centeredness, we confess that we are not always aware of the needs of those around us. Forgive us for our selfishness. Forgive us for not always treating others the way we would like to be treated. In your mercy, please forgive us for our many sins and hear us now as we continue to confess our sins to you in silence. Oh Lord, as we come to you in humble confession this morning, we thank you that you have demonstrated your great love towards all of us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He paid the price for our sins so that in Jesus Christ, we know we are forgiven. And it's in his strong and precious name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. That is the good news of the gospel. Jesus did for us what we can never do for ourselves. He lived in perfect obedience to our Heavenly Father. Then He died as the perfect sacrifice on a cross for our sins, so that our sins might be atoned for once and for all, so that as far as the east is from the west, so far have our sins been removed from us. Yes, in Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, good morning. This is the day the Lord has made. We can rejoice with his eternal word. Today's New Testament reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 19 to 33. So if you've brought a Bible with you or an electronic version of the Bible, you can look that up. Matthew, chapter 6, verses 19 to 33. But first, let's pray. Lord God, you inspired the psalmist to write, your word is a lamp to to our feet and a light to our path. I pray, Lord, today as we hear your word, that you will, by your spirit, provide illumination and inspiration to our minds and to our hearts. Especially, Lord, as we strive to follow the path and complete the journey you have called us to serve and exalt the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. To God be the glory. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 33. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, 
Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow was thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Amen. Thank you, Skip. I want to look again uh, to Matthew 6, verse 27. Uh, I love this question that Jesus asks of the crowd listening to him that day on the Sermon on the Mount. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Which of us, by being anxious, can add a single hour? hour to his life. Now, we know this to be true, that worrying doesn't add any time to our lives, and yet many of us, myself included, are guilty of worry. Has anyone worried at all recently? Anybody? Okay, I'm, okay, I'm not the only one. That's good. Because yeah, we're living in some pretty worrisome, anxious times. I mean, we're living in the midst of a, a pandemic. In fact, the city of Amarillo on Tuesday raised the alert level to level red, which is the highest level because the hospitalization rate here in Amarillo has gone up to 12.49%. And there are over 3,500 active cases in both Potter and Randall County, the most we've ever had in the midst of this pandemic. It's, it's difficult not to be anxious in the midst of a pandemic, to be a little worried in the middle of a pandemic. In fact, not only are we in the middle of a pandemic, but we're in the middle of an election year. And I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat, everyone I talk to tells me that if the other guy gets elected, man, this country is going to fall apart. Everybody's anxious about this election. And not only the election, whether you're Republican or Democrat, people are worried about it, but people are worried about the economy because we're in the middle of a recession. I mean, the unemployment rate is around 7%, almost 8%. People are worried, worried about the stock market. What's going to happen? And, and gosh, it's, it's hard not to be worried sometimes. And yet Jesus tells us, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Don't worry, Jesus says. Now, notice in the Sermon on the Mount what Jesus tells them not to worry about. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or even what you're going to wear. Because look at the birds. God clothes the birds. He feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than the birds and the lilies of the field? Certainly. Don't worry about those things. Now, I know most of us here this morning probably are not worried about what we're going to eat or drink after this service. Maybe we're thinking about, you know, where we might go and eat and drink, right? But we're not worried if we're going to eat or drink. But back then, with this crowd that Jesus is talking to, that was a real worry. That was a real concern. In fact, Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As Jesus gave this wonderful uh, been able to join us online, David Mullen and I are teaching through the Sermon on the Mount on Wednesday nights, and you can join us, check that out on, on YouTube, or you can come to our church, our class in 304 at 630. But when he starts the Sermon on the Mount, he looks at the crowd, and these are people who are poor in spirit. These are people who had previously been demon-possessed. They had been paralyzed. The, the synagogue had rejected them because of whether their demon possession or their physical ailments or because of their illnesses. And Jesus has been healing these people. And these people are poor in spirit because based on their own efforts and their own strength, they realize that life has not turned out the way they want it to. And so they've come to Jesus, poor in spirit, needing his help. And Jesus looks at them and says, look, 
Blessed are you poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Or as Luke says in his gospel account of the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is speaking to a poor crowd in the first century Roman Empire. And back then, if you were poor, if you didn't have work, well, then you may not have food. You may not have clothes. You had to beg. Because the Roman Empire wasn't really known for giving out stimulus checks, was it, in the midst of a downturn in the economy? They didn't do that kind of thing. The Roman Empire wasn't known for its social welfare programs. It didn't have the Salvation Army, right? That, that came after Jesus, right? So, so they didn't have ways to care for the poor. The poor had to beg, and if no one fed the poor and the needy, they went hungry. And so they were worried. Those, those are real concerns, real worries, right? Now, compared to them, we're not as worried about those things, but we do live in an anxious time. So, so how can we make sure that we live out these words, that we're the kind of people who don't worry, who, who are slow to become anxious? How can we make sure that we, we drive worry out of our lives today? Well, as we continue our journey through uh, Genesis, and we look at the story of Father Abraham, the father of our faith, we'll see that Abraham lived through an anxious time, but, but he proved to be quite generous, even in the midst of anxiety. And there were things that Abraham did to help him not worry, that allowed him to be generous, even though previously he had been quite worried. Now, if you were with us last week, you know that we began this journey uh, in Genesis 12. And if you didn't get to hear last week's sermon, you can go online to, to watch that. But just as a quick summary, in Genesis chapter 12, God sees Abram, who's 75 at this time, 75 years old, and he says to Abram, that, who's married to Sarai, who's 65 years old and barren, he says, you know, Abram, go to a land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Yes, God's plan is to bless this old man named Abraham. No offense to anyone who's 75 or older, but that's not the age when you're looking for a career change, and that's not the age you're looking to start having children either, right, at 65. But he says, if you go, I will bless you. And so Abraham, by great faith, goes where God shows him. And as we read in Hebrews 11, Abraham didn't really know where it was he was going. He went without knowing where he was going. But every day he trusted that God would guide him, and eventually God guides him after a 500-mile journey to the promised land, to Canaan. And what's interesting, if you continue reading Genesis chapter 12, you'll see that soon after Abraham gets there, there's a famine in the land, and there's no food. And Abraham, ultimately, he has to flee to Egypt in order to have some food. And in the midst of this change of plans, in the midst of this anxiety, Abraham does a very foolish, foolish thing. See, he, he notices that his wife, Sarah, like my wife, Sarah, is very beautiful, and she's sitting right back there. That's why I'm laying that there. But she's, he notices how beautiful she is, and he says, you know what, Sarah? If other men in Egypt see you, they may want to kill me to get to you. So if people ask us about our relationship, tell them that you're my sister. What a horrible thing to do. What a jerk. Why would Abraham do that? But he was filled with fear. He was filled with anxiety. He was filled with worry. You know, when we're worried, anxious, we can do some pretty foolish irrational things. Uh, does anyone remember the, the stock market crash of 2008? Remember that one? That was kind of scary, right? I mean, everything, the world markets were all falling to, apart, and I, I was in my mid-30s when that happened. That was an election year as well. You may remember that, and it was a real anxious time for our country, and I had some friends who, colleagues of mine, we were all in our 30s, and, and they were getting real nervous, and so they started selling their mutual funds. Like, I got to get out of the market because it's going south, and no, who knows when it'll ever come back, and I told them, no, this is not the time to sell. This is the time to buy. Everything just just went on sale, right? I mean, all these stocks are going down. That's when you want to buy. Buy low, sell high. My degree's in finance. That's how you make money in the stock market. Buying low, selling high. My friends didn't listen to me. They lost a lot of money. Ten years later, they regretted it. Yes, when we're anxious and worried, we can do some foolish, silly things. And Abram, in his anxiety, has said, Sarah, tell them you're my sister because I'm sure if they find out you're my wife, they're going to kill me. What's most interesting is God and his amazing grace allows Abram's wife, Sarah, to go into the house of Pharaoh, but he doesn't allow them to get married. God has made a, pro a covenant promise with Sarah. And even though Abraham has been selfish and foolish, he does not allow Sarah to uh, become Pharaoh's wife. Pharaoh calls Sarah into his home because he thinks she's quite beautiful. But then a plague comes upon Pharaoh's home. 
And ultimately, Pharaoh realizes, I've got this plague because of this woman named Sarah. In fact, I have now learned that Sarah is Abram's wife, not his sister. And so this plague is coming upon me because of her. And so he tells Sarah and he tells Abram, get out of Egypt. You're causing me too many problems. And that's where we pick up our story this morning. In Genesis chapter 13, verse 2, as Abraham has fled Egypt, let's notice his response to God's generous love so that we might learn how we can avoid anxiety today. Genesis chapter 13, verse 2. If you've got an iPhone or an Android or whatever, I would turn to that. I'm sorry we don't have pew Bibles right now. They're hard to sanitize in between the services. Or you can bring your own Bible uh, next week. Genesis chapter 13, verse 2. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his Holy Spirit to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you again that your word is true, that you have inspired the authors of scripture to put pen to parchment so that we might have your written word today. God, we pray that as we read your word that you might speak to us, that we might hear from you, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts might be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Genesis chapter 13, beginning with verse two, listen to God's word. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, Lot is Abram's younger nephew, Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's flock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered, everything like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley, and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Here ends the reading of God's word. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to look again, if we can, to verses 2 to 4 in Genesis 13. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Abram was rich, very rich, in livestock in silver and in gold. Now, how did Abram get this livestock, this silver and gold exactly? If you go back to Genesis 12, you'll see that when Pharaoh tells Abram to leave, he actually leaves with a whole lot of silver, gold, and livestock because Pharaoh had been giving Abram, on account of his sister Sarah, had been giving him silver and gold and livestock. And so when he tells Abram to leave, he says, go. And isn't this ironic? Because Abram had been sinful in lying about his relationship with Sarah, his wife. In fear and anxiety, he made up this, this lie and to try to deceive Pharaoh so that he wouldn't be killed. 
And so in spite of, in spite of Abram's sin, God proves to be quite generous to Abram. Of course, the, the, same, could be, the same could be said of us, could it not? In spite of our sin, God has been most generous to us. For the fact is that we have all sinned, as Romans 3.23 says, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There are things that we have done that we should never do, and there are things that we ought to do that we fail to do. Yes, every one of us is a sinner, and yet God in His amazing grace has been so generous to us. For the, King David writes in Psalm 24, verse 1 to 2, he writes these words, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Psalm 24, verses 1 to 2. David makes it very clear that all that we have is ultimately a gift from God. God has created everything. God had created us. He gave us life. He gave us minds. He gave us bodies and the physical ability to make income so that everything we have is a gift from him. For he created everything. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, continues this idea that all that we have is a gift from God. In James chapter 1, verses 16 to 17, we read, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to chains. It's both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we can see that all that we have is ultimately a gift from God. And as Abram is forced to flee from Egypt... He realizes, gosh, I have been blessed. And so notice what he does in verse 4. He returns to the place where he had made an altar at first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. As we talked about last week uh, in our sermon on Genesis 12, one of the things that gave Abraham the faith to keep on keeping on is that he had a regular rhythm of worship. And if we want to overcome anxious times, we need to worship. Yes, regular worship allows us to overcome anxious times because as we worship, as we turn our hearts and minds towards God, we are reminded of God's faithfulness. We are reminded of the promises of God's word. And so, well, we, we are gra- grateful and we realize that we don't have to worry. We don't have to be overcome by fear. And as we worship, and as Abraham worshiped, God began to change Abram. In fact, we can see that through his worship, Abram becomes very generous. As Abram focuses on the generous nature of our God, that we, love, we serve a very loving, generous God who in spite of our sin still blesses us, Abram d- becomes a generous man himself. For as we read in verses 5 to 12, and Lot, who went with Abram, his younger nephew Lot, also had flocks and herds and tents, so the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we were kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Lot, as the younger nephew, should not be the one picking which land to choose. Abram was the elder statesman, yet Abram, in his generosity, decides to let Lot make the choice. Why was Abram so generous to his nephew Lot? Because as Abram worshipped, had heartfelt worship towards God, he realized all that he had was a gift from God, and ultimately it made him a more generous man. And so he gave. In fact, giving is an act of worship. Giving is an act of worship. Can you say that with me? Giving is an act of worship. You know, it's interesting, in the uh, old uh, Book of Order of the Presbyterian Church and our Directory of Worship, it talks about there are several elements that must exist in a Presbyterian worship service, and one of those elements is actually giving. Uh, when we're not in a pandemic, normally after the sermon, we would hand out an offering plate. It's an opportunity for us to, to give as an act of worship, an opportunity to, to respond to God's faithfulness and gratitude for what God has given to us. We, we give back as an act of worship. Yes, prayer is needed in a worship service, Bible reading, preaching, all those things, but also so is giving, because giving 
is an act of worship. And as we give, we will actually grow in our faith. As we give, we will actually grow in our faith. It's interesting, though, it's need to point out in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, uh, before, in fact, David Mullen preached on this, or ta- taught on this Wednesday night, uh, before uh, Jesus tells us to uh, invest in the kingdom of heaven and not store up treasures here on earth, he says that when we give, our left hand shouldn't know what our right hand is doing. Now, we should give not to bring attention to ourselves or so that we might get accolades, but rather we give as an act of worship. We give quietly and subtly so that God might ultimately be glorified. And as we give, ultimately we grow. Yes, giving is an act of worship, and as an act of worship, it helps us grow in our faith. Giving as an act of worship helps us grow in our faith. Can you share that with me? Giving as an act of worship helps us grow in our faith. As I give out of gratitude for what God has given to me, I grow in my faith. That's why Jesus says, don't store up your treasures here on earth where moth and rust will destroy, but but store up your treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. As we give, our heart follows, and ultimately we grow in our faith. Because as we give back to God, we're trusting that God will continue to provide for us as he already has. And notice in our text, that's exactly what God does. When Abram is generous to his nephew Lot and lets him have the choice of the land, let, hey, you pick. Notice what God then says to Abram in our text in verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. God gives even more to Abram. As Abram worships God, which is one of the first steps to avoid anxiety, is to worship God. Let's turn our heart and mind towards God and God's faithful, faithfulness to us in the past. As we worship God, then we will be moved to give because giving is an act of worship. And as we give to God, our faith grows. And as we give, we're trusting God to continue to bless. And then we will see God's even generous. Now, I want to be real careful here. I don't want anyone to think that God's some kind of vending machine where if I, put, if I give God money, then he's going to give me even more money. That's not exactly how it works. But I promise you, you will be blessed by giving back to God. You'll be blessed in this life and in the life to come. Because as you read a moment ago in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, do not store up your treasures here on earth where moth and rust will destroy, but store up your treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. As we give, as we invest in the work of God's kingdom, God takes what we give and he's able to multiply its impact to minister to so many, many, many more. That's what this Celebrate magazine is all about. In fact, this week you'll be receiving this. All of our church members will receive this in the mail. It's an opportunity to celebrate how God has taken what we've given to him and how he's able to multiply its impact to minister to so many more. How many youth and children have been blessed through the ministries of this church? How many men and how many women have been blessed through the ministries of the church? How many missionaries that we're able to sponsor? As you go to the back page, you can see how many missionaries we sponsor around the globe in places like Iraq and Bolivia and Germany And Houston, that's like another country, right? It's real hot and humid there. We're dry up here. But no, England, Kenya, China, North Africa, Iran, all over the world. We're seeking to fulfill the Great Commission by sponsoring missionaries around the globe. And we commit 12% of our operating budget because as we look at the Bible, we can see that, well, generosity begins with the tithe, with 10%. And we want to be, we don't want to just do the bare minimum. We want to go above and beyond. And where does this idea of tithing come from exactly? It actually comes from Abram. If you read Genesis chapter 14, you'll see that Abram gives a tithe, the full 10%, back to Melchizedek, the priest of God, in gratitude for all that God had done for him. Yes, Abram became a very generous person. As he worshiped God and thought about all that God has done for us, he becomes a very generous man, not only letting Lot have the choice pick of the land, but when he comes across Melchizedek, the priest of God, he gives a full 10% of everything he owned. This idea of tithing begins with Abram. And inside of our packet, you're going to have a little pledge card. We're going to invite you and encourage you to pray about what God is calling you to give in the way of time, talents, and treasures. And I would encourage you that if you're not a tither, make 2021 the year of the tithe where you give at least 10% of your your finances back to the work of God's kingdom. 
Because I promise you that as you give, you're going to be blessed. I, I've seen this firsthand. My wife and I, since we've been married, have been, have been tithing. And I've noticed that as we give back to God, it's amazing how, how God is able to take what we give and he's able to use it to minister to so many, many more. And I've got to be honest with you, it's, sometimes it's not always been easy. I remember when we first had Hannah, uh, Sarah left her full-time job at Rice University and went to become a full-time mom, and it was tight financially. And we weren't sure how we were going to make it, but we had pledged that we were going to give 10% back to the church, and we gave that full 10%. And every month, God was faithful in his provision. So as we gave, we grew in our faith. We became less anxious. Yes, if we want to be less anxious... We've got to have a regular rhythm of worship. We've got to give generously. And finally, we've got to observe carefully. Notice what God tells Abram to do after he says he's going to bless him. Then in verse 17, we read this. God tells Abram, arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. God calls Abram to walk. Don't just look at the land. I want you to walk on the land that I'm going to give you. I want you to observe carefully what it is I'm about to bless you with. When was the last time you took a, a real assessment of how God has blessed you? When was the last time you, you wrote a thank you note to God for all of his many blessings in your life? Because that's what this Celebrate magazine is really. It's an annual thank you note to God. Thanking God for the way that he has blessed our church and allowed our church to, to minister to so many, many more as we give back to him. Is God is calling us to, to be the kind of people who, who demonstrate his generous love for others. As followers of Christ, we should be the most generous people of all. For God, in his great love for us, gave us his one and only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Yes, in John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus can make this bold declaration because Jesus alone is the Son of God. Jesus alone was sinless. Jesus alone was able to die on a cross as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And Jesus alone has conquered the grave when he rose again on that third day. Yes, I know there are millions of people today who believe that Muhammad is the greatest prophet the world has ever seen because he's the most recent prophet. But the fact is that you can go to Saudi Arabia and you can go to where they've buried Muhammad and his bones are still there. But if you go to Jerusalem and the tomb where they laid Jesus' body, well, it's empty because Jesus is alive. Amen? And he has conquered both sin and death on our behalf. He has given us the gift of eternal life. He's given us the gift of a new life if we will simply turn to him. And this new life calls us to be the kind of people who worship regularly who give generously and observe carefully all that God has done for us so that we might give him all praise and glory together. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, you are a, a generous God to us, and I thank you for this last year and all that you've done in and through our church. Even in the midst of a pandemic, God, you were able to use our church to help make disciples of Jesus, to minister to young people, old and young alike, male and female. God, you allowed our church to continue the work of your kingdom. Lord, help us to learn from Abram's example. In these anxious times, help us to continue to develop that regular rhythm of worship, both Sunday, every Sunday, but also every day. And we might take time to worship you thank you for your generous love. And then as we worship you, Lord, we can see that we'll be called to be generous givers. Lord, help us to give out of gratitude for what you've given to us. Help each one of us, every family unit in this church, to make the commitment that in 2021, I'm going to be a tither like Abram was. I'm going to give 10% of my income back to you out of gratitude for what you've done for us. And God, I pray that we would observe closely all that you've done for us so that we might have a heart of gratitude, that we might continue to give you thanks and praise, that in everything we say and do, we might seek to bring all glory and honor to you. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ, and all God's people said, amen.
I talked about anxiety. There's no need to live in anxiety. I sure do. Uh, but we have an avenue. It's called prayer. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. So we have an opportunity now to pray as a community and uh, cast our cares and anxiety upon him. May we pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for uh, prayer. We're grateful that uh, we can come boldly before your throne of grace to receive help in times of need. Lord, we have an advocate, uh, Lord Jesus, that you continue to intercede for us. That's just miraculous, thinking about you interceding for us. Lord, I confess my own life, we uh, carry burdens we were never meant to carry. Uh, we have anxiety and concerns that we are meant to uh, leave at your doorstep uh, before you. So, Lord, teach us to pray. We're all novices in the school of prayer. Um, I know, Lord, that I pray, but I continue to, to take anxiety and cares and concerns back on my plate that was never meant to be. But, Lord, we uh, thank you that we can pray about specifics. Lord, there's some uh, members of our church today, Lord, we want to pray for who are struggling with health issues. We want to pray for Jack and Pat Wiles. We want to pray for Charlie Hargrave. We want to pray for Marty Smith. We want to pray for Gary Berkman. Lord, these and other people, I'm sure there are folks on our minds, as I said those names, that we want to lift before you as well. Lord, we lift them before you, asking, Lord, that you might come alongside these people. You would be their healer. You would be their comforter. You would be their encourager this day. So we pray for Gary and Marty and Charlie and Jack and Pat and others. Lord, uh, Howard mentioned some things, and there are things that continue to concern us. We do pray for the election. We think of local issues that we face. We think of local and regional uh, political issues. We think of the, na the nation as well. Lord, we pray for your hand to be involved. Lord, we pray for the economy, and we pray for many who, who can't find work. We pray, Lord, that the economy would come back. We pray that jobs would be available for those who need to work. Work is a good thing. It provides for us. And, Lord, we pray that you, by your hand, you would provide. Lord, we pray against the virus again. Lord, we pray that in your time, Lord, you redeem all you allow, but we would pray, Lord, this virus would be removed. And we pray, Lord, that you get the glory and honor for that. We lift it before you. Lord, we want to pray for Bolivia today. Howard mentioned Bolivia, and we have friends there. And they're in the middle of an election as well, election as well that's very controversial. Uh, we pray for that country as they vote. We pray for Randy Davis, who's a missionary on the streets there, caring for shoe shiners and others. We pray for Pastor Edgar, our church that is a, our sister church there. We pray for Pastor Edgar as he uh, leads that congregation. We pray for Greg Hurst as he comes here, he and Faith soon, to update us on things. We pray for Javier Zubieta as well. So we pray for our sisters and brothers in Bolivia this day. Lord, we do recognize that every good gift we have comes from you. Uh, Lord, we recognize that your work of your Holy Spirit is to transform us to become more and more like Jesus. Lord, we do pray that we would be generous people, generous with our hearts, generous with our minds, generous with our time, generous with our tithes. Lord, we see Jesus as being very generous. And Lord, we want to be like Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you taught us to pray when we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Kim. Today's a special day. Um, it's always great when we get to uh, lead one of our uh, believers into believer's baptism. As much as I love our tradition of infant baptism, uh, as one that oversees the youth ministry, it means a lot to me when one of our uh, young people decide on their uh, own to, uh, to be baptized. So we're going to bring the Klein family up here if we can. I'll have you stand up here. Why don't you guys come out over here, sir? <clears throat> so Carter <laughs> Rose, um, when she received her third grade Bible not too long ago, she listened to Howard when he said, why don't you start reading the Gospel of Mark? And as she read through the Gospel of Mark and and saw the baptism, she was convicted that she also, uh, like her sister before and her parents who have been such a, an amazing part of our church for so many years, she wanted to follow them into believer's baptism. And so uh, Carter and I talked a little bit at, at uh, Roasters at night, asked her, you know, would you want me to immerse you now that we have an immersion tub? 
She goes, no, I don't really trust you to put me underwater like that. <laughs> I'm not sure why. <laughs> but I think I take that as a compliment. Uh, God doesn't care about the amount of water. Baptism is um, about <clears throat> a public profession of faith. That it's not a ritual that saves us. But in the same way that Jesus was uh, baptized, not so he could be purified, because he was perfect. He did so as an act of obedience. The scripture says that when we believe in Jesus Christ, that's what saved us. As Ephesians says, we're saved by grace and grace alone. But we do follow um, the Lord into believer's baptism as a sign of obedience. The scripture says that if you profess me before others, I'll profess you. So um, we are really proud of you, and we're excited about this. So I'm going to have you stand right here, and I'm going to give you this. Why don't you just face me, sweetheart? Um, can you hold this? I'm going to ask you a couple of questions, and the answer was yes, so we've gone through this. So um, we just do this the right way. Carter, do you understand and admit that in the sight of God, you are a sinner deserving only his punishment? Yes. It's kind of hard to say that to a girl this sweet looking. <laughs> do you understand that God loves you and sent his only son, Jesus, to die for you? Yes. That a girl. Do you believe that God graciously and freely offers you forgiveness and eternal life through the death of his son? And do you trust Jesus alone as your Savior and Lord? Yes. Good for you. Do you now affirm that it is your intention to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and to promise with the help of the Holy Spirit to live as his disciple? Yes. Only one more. Do you promise to be an active member of the body of Christ by attending, serving, and giving for the glory of God? Yes. All right. So it's not just... Um, Carter that we ask a commitment from, but um, as the body of Christ, we want to ask you a question, and we'd like for your answer to be, we will. <clears throat> First Presbyterian Church, body of Christ, will you promise to affirm Carter in her baptism, to pray for her as she follows Jesus, to love her, to encourage her, to support her, and to walk with her as she follows Christ the rest of her life? Will you? Amen. Amen. Carter, child of the covenant, daughter of our Lord and Savior, Carter Rose, I now baptize. I'm still going to use a lot of water, even though you didn't want me. It's going to be a little chilly, okay? You'll remember this. I now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let's give Carter a big hand. There you go. Let's pray for this sweet girl. Holy Father, we know, as you say in the Psalms, that you uh, knew Carter Rose before the beginning of time, that you knew her name, and that you formed her in Sarah's womb, and that you had your hand upon her from the start, that you called her to yourself, and she responded. We thank you for her, her uh, dear, precious faith. And thank you for her sweet, tender heart that as she read the Scriptures, that she is stepping into obedience to follow you. And now, Lord, we commit our dear sister to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Bless her, guide her. Keep this day in her memory and burn it in her heart, not as the day she came to know Jesus, because that's already happened, but the day that she proclaimed you in front of the world. Now we commend her to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Congratulations. <laughs> Let's stand to sing our next hymn.
I agree with Kim uh, that no matter how much water you use, a baptism is a beautiful thing. So uh, thanks for making that big step, Carter. It's beautiful. Um, there's an offering box on the way out if you might want to be generous today in that regard, or if you're watching on live stream, there should be a way that you can give uh, online that you could see as well today. So remember the grace, mercy, and peace of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen.